Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. All of you guys, I'm here with uh, Jonas Altman. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He will uh, definitely make sure to correct me. Otherwise, um, once again, Jonas is the author of uh, the new book, Shapers. Super curious to hear all about it and about his personal journey of how he, um, in some ways, transformed the way he looked at work and he looks at um, how we see work uh, but before we actually start um Jonas would you would you like to introduce yourself a little bit in terms of you know your your personal journey of a professional life in a way mm. yeah we talked about that a little bit while I was making coffee I think what what I was saying to you was I looked at professional life as separate from personal development and I thought the I thought of the two for some reason for quite quite some time, which is to fast forward and spare everyone the details is is one of the reasons why I burnt out from work. And when we talk about burnout, I think there's a lot of uh, there's one side that's like yes, that's what you do when you are an entrepreneur and you work hard, you 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 sacrifice. There's another side that's you're even in a fortunate enough position to even talk about burnout because there's people who, who are working 60 hours a week to make ends meet. So this idea of like, I worked so hard on my startup and I burnt out is also in some ways not giving um, uh, appreciation of how much there is uh, in the world of not necessarily having that opportunity. And then the third one is knowing that the mental exhaustion and physical exhaustion is so acute that you have to figure out something else. I like to say you got knocked off your horse. So I got knocked off my horse 10 years ago uh, in London. And uh, that's when I updated my personal operating system to one that is much more about the things we've been speaking, paying attention to your attention, mastering or trying to master the art of focus, being discerning with your energy and and as such, knowing uh, or being able to, to be aware about what matters most. So 10 years ago, you burn out. And just like in the movies, right? You embark on a journey of uh, refining yourself. <laughs> it wasn't like a field of dreams. I was playing Frisbee in the park with my good friend, Sal, an amazing man. And he saw, you know, you can almost see it in your body. Like I was like, tense and stressed and the the park ranger came and blew the whistle to kick us out of the park because it was sunset and the park in london closed at sunset and i was like what like i'm here i just got here to play frisbee friend after a crazy day and i started to tear and he was like what the hell is going on with you like he could see it because he knew me i couldn't see it or i didn't want to see it so it, it, it is a, a movie scene, but it's not as glamorous as like the, the guy gets the girl or, you know, the waves come riding the sunset. It was, this is not working. Whatever I'm doing isn't working. And I feel it now in my body. Logically, I probably had known it, but I could ignore it. I'd be like, oh, that's fine. I'll just keep working. I'm actually curious now to explore before we move into some other topics, but just to explore what were some of the signs? I'm sure a lot of people out there right now are hustling, putting in long hours. Some people feeling stressed, but but you know, from my experience, I, I had a burnout a few years ago, probably not as severe as the one that you explained, but I wasn't aware that I was having a burnout. You know, I was I was kind of feeling something is off. I'm working too much, but I had to go to this point that I couldn't do anything anymore. I couldn't take any decision anymore. So I had to kind of take a involuntary break. But if you reflect backwards, what were some of the signs, or, or even if you can even reflect on that, what were some of the reasons, the causes that created this burnout? Yeah, well, there's a beautiful toolkit, which maybe we can 
um, share. It's called the Emotional Resilience Toolkit, which uh, this fellow Johnny Miller and uh, Studio D has developed. And it looks at the early signs of burnout. And there's a whole bunch of indicators. So I'll speak to uh, my personal story and to make a caveat that it's not universally applied. So it's going to show up different. I think everyone has a different type of psychological strength and a different uh, mental fitness that is invisible, right? You're like, oh, Stoyan, you're so resilient. You're like, are you? Or how are you? Is it because you were, you're Eastern European and you grew up in a certain culture? Is it because you've been international? So um, so the first thing is, I, and I've, I've written about this, I think that the work for me, for me and the workaholism of not being able to not stop working was a container for my fear and anxiety. My fear of failure, of not making enough money, of not succeeding, of not being the, the, the entrepreneur that had whatever those uh, met measures of success are. Anxiety of not knowing what to do with myself if I wasn't working. So if I was just watching Netflix, I wasn't working. If I was hanging out with friends, I, I could be working. And there was this sort of mandate to always be on, always, especially with social media and, and digital marketing, is it never ends. So I didn't even understand or know the expression, the work is not yet done, but it's time to stop. Basta. Close the laptop. So for me, it was basically I was young and foolish and I had a lot of energy so I could just go, go, go for a certain period of time, which a lot of people experience in their 20s. Your, your frontal lobe is just developing. You think you're invincible. Uh, you're living in a... a, a mega city or a city that has energy that everywhere you look there's inputs and so i think for me one of the biggest indicators as i speak to you is a return to nature so a return to our biological natural habitat outside of the inputs of a city can ground you very quickly and there was weeks or months that i would be in london and the most i would get would be going to hyde park or to a, a park for a few hours. Now that's great, but that's not immersion. You don't, your circadian rhythms, your energy, everything doesn't get reset. So I went for some time and then you hear about digital detoxes and retreats, which is why you need to retreat to decompress, to come back to the, the shit show that's your life. So I think a sign as I speak to you is when you need to go on a digital detox, you should question what the hell's going on in your life that you need to. Um, and then the, the signs are, as I said to you, I think they're, they become, they move from psychological to embodied. So you, you might get shingles. Uh, right now, I have a little bit of um, a twitch in my pinky and, and my, my fingers. And the doctor said, you spend a lot of time on the computer, don't you? Which is the modern day malaise of a knowledge worker. Instead of hitting our thumb with a hammer or, or getting the fumes from being a miner, we're getting carpal tunnel from typing too much or back problems. Um, so I, I was on my computer all the time. So, you know, I, 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 my friends would joke, like I was always with technology, always. Um, so that was also an unhealth, unhealthy sign of, of not being able to be with yourself, like with your own thoughts alone um, and not have stimuli from other people, uh, from, from technology. So those are some things. I mean, we can we can go deeper. I, I'm sure I have more, but um, that's what I got so far. And what what changed? What did you change in terms of your habits, your your lifestyle, your the way you look at the world and and, and work overall? I forgot how much I love to learn. I forgot how much I love meeting new people. And as sort of like remembering the truth of who I am was I, I, people like me like to read. People like me like to meet new people. People like me like to be in the ocean. And I wasn't doing those things. So it's literally the simplest thing from the Dalai Lama to Eckhart Tolle to whoever. Do what makes you happy as often as you can. Um, so I started going surfing again, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Um, I started reading. I read the th first three books that really in inspired me were Tim Brown's Change by Design, uh, 
Daniel Pink's Drive, and Milan, with the funny last name, the Hungarian psychologist's book, Flow. And I had devoured those in 2010 as if they were the Bible, like the modern day Bible of, oh, there's a different way. Um, and so, yeah. So, and then, and then I started meeting people who were like, come on to, come over here. It's, it's a lot better than where you are in this crazy hamster wheel. And so I found a, a new tribe of people who were really reinventing work um, before there was even a, a term future of work or a buzzword of better ways of working. It was, I'm doing this and I don't even need to uh, talk about it. It's just how I operate. I'm just curious how, how much your level of happiness changed when you started uh, doing things differently. We know there's that famous study where someone is um, recently handicapped, uh, handicapped, they, they've lost the use of their legs and um, they measured their life satisfaction. And a year later, they've pretty much adjusted to relatively the same. That's assuming they were relatively happy with their life. Like they're, they're, they were satisfied. I wasn't satisfied. So obviously it changed significantly from you know, miserable or not healthy and not happy to hap happy or fulfilled. But I also, we adjust. So I don't, I don't think it was like terrible when I was at burnout. It was just not sustainable. So what I have now is I have a, a way of operating and living that could in effect sustain me until I no longer am breathing. Whereas before I would have had most likely a physical reaction in the form of a stroke or some disease. So in terms of health being number one and then sort of fulfillment, I think tick that box. And now I'm, I'm just searching. You know, I, I really do believe this, the search for meaning and fulfillment is, is a journey and it's not a, a destination. And so I started that a little bit late and I'm, and I'm encountering a lot of people, especially in these times who are Uh, more introspective and are in effect having an existential opening to allow them to say, if now, if not now, when. And you mentioned uh, Daniel Pink, and I, I was checking out uh, the page of your book, and I managed to read uh, a little bit from the sample chapter. So looking forward to to read the whole book. Um, I'm ordering a copy tomorrow. Those of you who are watching, you should go check out Shapers shapers.life um so far so good but one thing that uh, that was interesting for me is like first of all you know who are the shapers well daniel pink is a shaper he almost vomited on al gore 20 years ago as the uh speechwriter and he was working himself to death and he turned green as he writes about it and was about to vomit on the on the well it was a vice president at the time right um, and then, and then he wrote a book called free agent nation, which, which is what would happen if I stopped working for someone and I start, start working for myself. Even more than that, what if I just found a way to have more agency and autonomy and control over the way I work, whether it is for someone or for myself. And so I think a shaper first and foremost has agency to craft the way they work. And that takes um, an experimental mindset, a growth mindset, a willingness to adapt, to be resilient. It's not for everyone. Some people just want, you know, I've worked in universities, they want sort of things to be the same. And now we know that that's kind of not happened, that, that, that was always a myth. We're just more aware of it now. And then there's a couple other things of feeling energized after the end of the day instead of depleted, um, doing something greater than yourself. So believing and having validation that you're making a difference and seeing work as a practice, not so much as something you do or a job that you have, but a deliberate practice like um, an athlete is training free, free throws for, uh, for basketball or um, a musician working on his or her notes to get that perfect sound. It's, it's kind of approaching work with the same care as a craftsperson. 
So it's care, it's curiosity, it's growth mindset. Okay, but, but okay, if I work for a company, how can I be a shaper? Well, there are people in companies right now who are um, either aware and frustrated that there's a better way of working and they're on their way out. They're, they're, they're checking out. And then there are the people, and I've been one of these people once, who pull up their trousers or socks and say, okay, I'm going back in and I'm going to instill change from within. I'm going to manage up. I'm going to, I'm going to lead by example and people will follow me. I'm going to find inefficiencies and I'm going to, um, in a caring and measured way, bring those to the team and say, what can we do about it? I'm going to bring opportunities and do the same thing. And so you're seeing uh, a more participatory way of working, uh, a leadership style that embodies feminine values, um, a high degree of trust in a remote work environment, a lot of empathy. And so now a lot of the ways that you know companies like Buffer, 37 Signals, Google, and a lot of tech companies have been operating prior to COVID and even more so is saying it can be this way, but it's not a cut and paste job. It's unique to your own culture. And so I think inside organizations, shapers have the hardest job because they're having to craft work for themselves for the team, and in many ways at the organizational level. Whereas an independent uh, contractor, freelancer, solopreneur, micro enterprise has a new idea, wants to set up a new Instagram channel for a new product. There's no protocol. It's, it's live and going. And that's, in some ways, a lot of people are saying we can innovate 10x faster than some of these organizations that are at scale. That's true. But organizations that are at scale, when they start operating more nimbly and they start operating like a team of teams can almost replicate startup culture. And we only have to look at, I hate to say it, Amazon, it's day one every day. And um, it's very hard to compete with that when you have that mindset of we don't let people, we let people fail, but we don't let them be a failure, which is uh, General Stanley McChrystal, which is an experimental mindset. And that's not uh, normalized or that's stigmatized still in big organizations. Failure is bad. And so a shaper is allowed, is allowed to allow themselves and lets others fail as long as they learn. Definitely agree, man. Uh, just reminded, uh, reminded me about uh, last year I did a workshop in, in a bigger, bigger organization in the UK. Uh, it's three-day mini retreat we did with them and it was about uh, some other topics but what we found out the biggest challenge was people were afraid to fail people were afraid to innovate everybody was kind of like i don't want to do something that's not in my responsibilities because if if it doesn't work then it's on me i'm afraid i what if i get fired like so i i better stick to my in my lane i'm safe and we had to they had a new ceo and she was very creative. She was very, she was a shaper. She wanted to change things, but it it was really kind of a challenge for everybody to understand and be aware that, hey, if I actually make a mistake, it's fine. If it's if it's really told true, if there's a strategy behind it, if you know if it's an experimentation mode, then it's okay. That's how we can grow, actually. Of course, some of the decisions we make were going to be mistakes. That's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it's definitely it's a long way, especially for larger companies with many employees with uh, structures and traditions for for you know decades. Uh, it's it's still a it's still a challenge. It is, and you know that's when you, when I when you say that to me, I think of how tough these people's skin has to be and how they have to bite their teeth. And really, uh, it's not war, but it it has that element of a fight of a battle of the old way, the established way and a new and better way. What, what do you think? You know, one thing that I'm curious to hear about is, and I think, I think we're probably on the same page on this topic, but some people tuning right now, they see you, somebody, which at least at the moment you look like somebody in a very present state, you know, you're focused, 
you seem to be doing a lot of cool things, but you don't seem, seem to be somebody that's kind of like overworked or, um, you know, so, so where is actually this kind of a fine balance in terms of producing results, you know, moving things forward, moving the needle, at the same time, allowing yourself to not just to do, but also to be mm. and to take care of yourself when you are off your so-called work hours. Yeah. Well, I, I like story. So I'll tell you a story as, as it comes to me uh, while you're asking that. So yesterday I woke up. And I knew I had to meet with someone, but I, went, I forgot who. And it was this friend of mine named Navid, who runs a company, remote company called Vested, which is an amazing organization in, in London. But he was in Ibiza. And he comes on the screen and he looks like a very good looking Jesus, uh, dark skinned. He has beautiful beard. His hair is in a bun. He looks extremely healthy and the sun shining on his face. And I was like, you look really good. And he was like, thanks. And I'm like, I feel like, you know, pasty and white and it's not sunny. And anyway, he um, he had a journey where he uh, went and did uh, four months of meditation and now coaches and works with Silicon Valley CEOs and entrepreneurs on the inner world, the interiority of themselves to be and be okay with the uh, security of themselves and being able to make better decisions, hold space for others and just show up as a better leader. And I was like, wow, that's so needed. And he's like, yeah, I used to be quite stigmatized to be vulnerable or to say you had a therapist or that you were, you have a, a life coach and you're supposed to be like the, 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 the successful entrepreneur, but everyone could benefit from that. So I think, the reason why I'm telling you that story is I think I was guilty of that. I didn't have a business coach for a long time. And then I got a business coach um, when I was in my 30s. And I still have a coach to this day. So I think having mentors and advisors and coaches is very important to get you out of your own head. You can get that from books and from movies and podcasts, but it, you're still processing it. And to have someone who's non-judgmental to feed back your own bullshit and call you on your negative self-talk and your resistance and your critics. Um, meditation is probably for many people become a savior. And I'm talking about all forms of meditation. It could be a moving meditation, yoga, running, swimming. It could be sitting meditation, transcendental, or any other form that allows for at least some quieting, quietening or cleansing of the brain. Um, and then I should say, as you're saying, it's like, we all fall off our wagon. So I said to you what happened to me in April or March or April, or maybe it was more like April, May, where I was like, oh, I got this. I know how to work from home. I know how to do this. I'm, I'm good at this. And then it was like a record player. It was like, and it just sort of stopped. And, you know, I pulled my leg because I was running every day and I didn't realize you can't run. I can't run 10 days in a row. So my legs sort of cramped. And then my meditation practice sort of fell off the wagon a little bit and I wasn't doing and all of a sudden I was like, what's going on here? It was like a collective mourning of the old ways of living, a psychological assault at an individual level. I love gathering like you. I love getting together with people in the room. It's gone. It doesn't exist as I knew. And I thought, well, I could just put a Band-Aid on it, like the burnout thing, and I could continue on and adapt. But meanwhile, I haven't addressed that. So the ability to be is also to be able to sit with discomfort. And I have been working on that. And by all, by no means am I um, an expert or am I even established, but I'm on that path to not trying to get rid of unpleasant stuff, but to, to integrate it. And even my shadow self and the things that have been holding me back in the past, like the whole reason why I burnt out was because of a, a faulty story, an untrue story. So instead of just trying to like hit it with a baseball bat, I take that and I kind of embody it and say like, yeah, I know what it's like to fail. So what? I think this is a really cool thing I want to dig deeper into. Um, how do we, first of all, obviously you mentioned coaching and, and somebody to feed back your bullshit, but how do we 
discover those stories that are not serving us anymore? And how do we actually transform our perceptions into something more productive, something more positive, something more empowering? Maybe from your personal experience, how, yeah. how, how did that happen for you? Yeah, I've thought about this. I think the best answer and the, the most cheeky answer is time. I think the advantage of time can really help. So, you know, look at yourself two years ago, a relationship, a business thing, and you have a new frame of reference. Like, what was I thinking? Uh, but we also don't necessarily need time. And there's a lot of uh, belief or literature around courage. We need the courage to confront our demons and to lean in when things get icky. So you can sort of circumvent the time frame with courage. Um, I'm a big fan of high contrast conversations like this one. So this is the first time we've spoken. I will learn so much from you, even though I'm probably doing the majority of the talking. I've already learned, I've already revisited stories about me in Barcelona and living these former lives. And I'm like, what was I thinking even doing what I was doing then. So I'm allowing myself to uh, be introspective, but also not to uh, be stuck to these uh, former stories that serve me for a period of time. And then the last thing I'd say is this is language of like, how did you set yourself up? So how did Jonas set himself up to burn out? Like what, what, so one of the things is that I got into business with someone who was a workaholic. Um, I was catering to clients who had unreasonable demands and I didn't even know or have the language to set healthy boundaries. I thought that busyness was a bragging right. That's what I was reading. I wore a badge that said, I'm busy, you're busy, go us. And so those stories were my reality. And by understanding that I'm setting myself up, no one's doing anything to me. If I could let go of that story and say, let's just say I worked 35 hours instead of 50 hours and I make 10 grand less or whatever the amount is. What happens? Does, do, does anyone look at me differently? Do I forego going to a fancy dinner? And we've been contemplating that now for about six or seven months, realizing what is enough you know, the hedonic treadmill. Do I need another Peloton bike? No, you don't. You have one. Um, so I think that I was caught in that busy trap. And so it, was, it served me to do all these things that I, I needed it to, sort of like we wouldn't have these beautiful, amazing devices if it weren't for the industrial revolution. So we wouldn't even be having this conversation live on LinkedIn. But then now we're like, well, the way that our companies are organized is on an old story and they need a new story. But of course they had an old story because they were designed in the image of a machine. So the, the new story, which I'm excited about, is designing organizations in the image of humankind. And uh, yeah, so I kind of, I went a little bit over, but the, the answer is high contrast conversations, learning how you set yourself up, um, and being able to understand how stories serve us for a period of time, whether it's religious, spiritual, or something else, but when it's time to let go or adapt it, that you need, you need, a, you need per, a new perception, and often it's helpful to have a support network to, to, to show you that. And if not, you know, some people like to take drugs, some people meditate, some people go on retreats, everyone has their own. I'm a fan of leaning into people and being like, I'm going to be selectively vulnerable with you now um, and show you a side of me that's weak. And I hope that you won't abuse that trust. And I hope that you won't judge me. And if you do, that's on you. I think that's a really good point. And uh, reflecting now on my journey of, uh, you know, writing the book that I'm publishing in, in a couple of weeks uh, together with a co-author, Christopher Alonso, to give him credit. Um, we've, we've done interviews with uh, over 30 founders of uh, successful startups, uh, mainly primarily companies from New Europe region, the so-called region we define New Europe, which is um, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, but it's more of a mindset. It's not a geographical thing, you know, New Europe. But, but basically... When we talked about how do they manage stress, how do they manage when things are not working the way they want, 
most of them, majority of the people we asked said, oh, I have a really good support group. Mm. I, yes. have, I have a peer group. I have people around me that I meet on a consistent basis and I just talk it out. And, and I think I think it's a really good timing right now. I know that many people in the world are struggling in the last six, seven months and we don't know how this situation, how it's going to evolve, how long it's going to be, but it's also one of the greatest opportunities we ever had. And it's also a great opportunity to get back to the core of who we are. What do we stand for? And who are the people that mean most to us? Who are those people that we we love? We probably haven't been spending as much time as we want. And can we actually take some steps to reconnect, to, to take care of these people and, and to reshape the reality that we live in somehow? Yeah. I mean, for, uh, for people to be able to admit that they're not as strong and resilient as you thought they were, and that the biggest thing that they have is the tribe or the support network that they've cultivated is a quite a powerful, uh, admission. And I think it's extremely, uh, it's kind of, so maybe it relates to what you started sharing with, you know, one of the objectives with the Shapers book, at least how as I understood is making work more human or inspiring this, this human side of things. And, and curious also to, to explore a little bit about that. What, what do you mean by making work more human? Yeah, well, that, that last what's point. not human what's not human yeah. <laughs> well yeah what's not human. um so okay well there's there's one thing on that last point which which for me is sort of worth bring uh dwelling on for one sec is you the the idea of having self-assurance and a quiet confidence and knowing what's right to focus on is a, is a great skill, uh, a laser sharp focus, uh, an ability to um, motivate and inspire people to join you and go places. And we've seen it usually with the hero entrepreneur, uh, often, often an alpha male. And a lot of these companies in some ways have done amazing things. And in a lot of ways they have created uh, an economic sort of, um, framework that has been a winner takes all economy, basically five or six companies that control most of search advertising and data. So there's a, a beauty or a, a purpose in having um, male values and assurance win. But now we've hit an inflection point where it's not about winning. And, and you can't just snap your fingers and say, oh, you know what? I'm actually uh, a grown man, an a grown-up man-child and I need help. You, you have to be cultivating and building that practice along the way. And now you're seeing that with much more empathetic and conscious leaders. So to come back to what is human, human is, in my view, irrational, fallible, emotional. To be able to show your emotion and be yourself or be mostly yourself is something that hasn't always lived in the workplace. And now you're seeing it like with the cat that comes through in the background or the baby that opens the door during the newscast or me, I was making coffee in my kitchen this morning with you. So you normally wouldn't show that. So that's, that's taking off the professional mask and it's Stoyan and Jonas. So that's one element. And there's a whole bunch of literature around what's a, what's the right amount of emotions and what's too much oversharing the the side of us being fallible so we all have our unique uh idiosyncrasies and our own things that we would consider not having utility so for example i love music i really am a music enthusiast well what relevancy does that have in a training workshop with some startup founders maybe i can put the music on maybe i don't maybe i use a story to build rapport, or maybe I leave it out. But if I 
if I'm not willing to share my passions and who I am as a, as a, a person, maybe I'm losing, uh, missing a trick and that's actually my currency. So this idea of like, everyone is a unique, uh, person who has unique gifts is, is a, a beautiful quote from Margaret Mead. That's that makes up our social fabric. Um, and then the final thing is we make mistakes. We fuck up. So we need to own them and learn from them and to destigmatize them, which is what your point was with the, the founders you've been interviewing, as well as all these companies that have a culture, which is risk adverse and they don't have to become risk friendly. They just need to think about many experiments and many interventions that are safe to try that when they work, they could scale them like Visa or MasterCard. If they want to get into online payments and Bitcoin and other things, they can't just press pause on their main business model. And so those are certain qualities which are, in my view, human, which is anti-mechanistic, which is a machine age mentality rooted in stability predictability, reliability. We know where we're going. We know where we were. Everything's going to be okay. This black car at $55,000 is going to sell 100,000 units. No, it's not because the gas tank's too close and it's going to blow up. That's the Ford Pinto. There's all sorts of unknowns. And now the unknowns have become magnified. So it's time for the human spirit and the, the human qualities that have been sort of left out of the workplace in my view, to be integrated, not as like a disruption to be like out with the old and in with the new, but in many ways, a marriage. Technology and humanity are natural. Like technologies in our mind, um, as well as our computers. So it's a very good point. Like what is not human, we, we'd probably be here for another hour. Yeah, and, and you know, it just kind of, urges me to ask you a question of like, okay, we, we speak a little bit about the high level understanding of this, but if we go down into the trenches, um, could you share some practices or something more like on an operational level? What, what were some specific success practices you discovered for companies that managed to do this type of uh, more human transformation and creating culture where, where the human is at the center? Yeah. So there's three things that come to mind. The first is this wonderful cartoon of who wants change? I do. Who wants to lead the change? Bupkis, nothing. So very few people want to lead the change and often very few people want to change themselves. So I think the first thing to address is, is there actually an appetite, a willingness, a desire to change behavior, create healthy habits, et cetera? And are you willing to start with yourself? Stop carbon copying. Just decide that the meeting doesn't have to be a half an hour anymore and it's now 45 minutes. Fridays, you can work from home or every day you work from home. Um, so that's one aspect. The second aspect is about um, local rules, which is really taking the values of the companies and distilling them to something that's more lived. So for example, uh, a local rule for a startup or for a team at a company could be uh, we value openness over secrecy. So when you can, work in Google Docs, drop into Slack, speak your mind. We will not hold you as a standard and your designs weren't perfect or your spelling mistake was off. So that, that, that then be, was like, that might not be lived at the, at the mission level or the value level of the organization, but it's lived in how people function and, and work. Um, and then the final thing is, I guess what I learned is when you encounter an inefficiency or a behavior or um, a way of operating that violates your values or is uncalled for and it's institutionalized, you have a duty to either speak up and call, call bullshit or whatever the political term is for bullshit, uh, or leave and, and, go, and never go back, um, if, assuming you have the opportunity to. And so that's what you're seeing with a younger generation when, they're, when, when they get triggered, not in a relationship, but when they get triggered by their organization 
And I can't think of a more powerful example than CVS, the pharmaceutical company in America that decided to stop selling cigarettes and lose billions of dollars. You can get behind them, but then you're not going to get behind, say, Walgreens or one of the competitors that's selling death sticks. And so a digital marketer who's sort of having a, a wake up call is like, I'm going to your competitor because I don't want to kill people. If it's true or not, like they're killing people in other ways, they're selling Diet Coke or whatever the hell they're selling as well. Um, so I think that that's what's happening now. And you're seeing companies that are living their values or at least doing their best, galvanizing people, keeping them. People are going to go and work for lots of different companies and do lots of tours of duties, but they'll stay loyal and they'll stay part of the network. Even IKEA is working on being a member for life and, and weaving in and out of the organization as you become a parent, maybe even as you retire and you want to just do an hour, uh, a day or two a week. Um, so they're looking at like membership as an employee, as opposed to being a full-time employee 35 years and then retiring. Uh, we're basically looking at new contractual ecological contract with organizations, which is much healthier. So that, that last point is around when you, when it smells like a fish, it's probably a fish. Is that the expression? You can call it what it is instead of being delusional and sticking around. And I know that's controversial to say sometimes because I always get a bit of pushback of not everyone has that luxury. I appreciate that. Not everyone has the luxury. But if you do and you have the talent, digital marketing, UX, social media, uh, writing, uh, software engineer, uh, architect, lawyer, accountant, any knowledge worker who's in the professional world, I think has a lot of choice right now of how to uh, amalgamate revenue. And it doesn't necessarily need to be from one organization that has to hold all of this thing, autonomy, mastery, purpose, variation, personalization, best friends, pat on the back. It's a lot to ask for. And talking about all these things, I'm just curious, in the last six, seven months of uh, the whole world changing direction in a very big manner, right? Um, have you been able to spot some specific opportunities in terms of industries, new type of uh, roles or jobs or new way to uh, to set up your business? Or like, what are some of the you know top three opportunities that you have spotted um, in terms of where we are going, you know, where the puck is going in, in you know, in the next uh, 12, 40, uh, 24 hour, months, right? I would say 24 hours. I was like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> or, or video games. Uh, you know, every time someone asks a question about like, what does the future look like? I, 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 I default to, I don't know. And then I say, well, this is what I think. I think, that we're about to see the biggest wave of mental health problems and ramifications of unemployment since the Great Depression. And it's going to create an entirely uh, modified well-being industry. So the, the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, goop well-being industry was sort of a luxury. It was elite but now it's, it's actually the people who need it most, who need support and help are the ones who can't afford it uh, and, and, and are probably even embarrassed or ashamed to be able to say that they need it. But everyone needs support, as we've talked about. So I think healthcare and coaching and therapy as modalities are, are just in their infancy, and they were before COVID. They're, they're literally on a, on a, and they're not going to be automated. No one wants, except for in Japan, no one wants a caregiver that's a dog, robot dog, and no one wants a coach that's just an algorithmic uh, deep learning machine feeding you back some, some powerful question. It's, it, that's, that's the human is to know what's needed right now. Like you've been asking me questions. It, yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say in terms of our world, speaking and uh, training hmm. and being in a room with people that's to me I I'm puzzled because 
as much as I was excited at the beginning by connecting, like the way Scott and you connected and me and you, it's like rush, it's Russian roulette or something. It's so fast, not Russian roulette. It's just like a game of backgammon or chess. And it's, it's, so, it's so spontaneous and sporadic. But it's almost having this uh, tension red residue. I watched you talk about multitasking, which is a fallacy. It doesn't exist. We're just we're just switching between tasks really fast, and there's a a tax we're paying on loss of retention, and basically becoming stupid like we're smoking a joint. So if that's happening at a at scale right now, again back to the mental health problem. What are the interventions? Learning for engagement, for training, for speaking opportunities that cater to the fact we're having like a, a fizz out, a short circuit. Our brains are short circuiting and in real time. So I don't know what it is, but I think there's an opportunity there. So I'm excited for you to launch something that, that caters to what we're craving, which is human connection in a way that feels organic. Super interesting you're mentioning that just uh... 45 minutes ago or actually a little more but like an hour ago i i saw this ad from um, a speaker a really good speaker that i've been following for years uh, eric admits he's actually canadian um and there was an ad in facebook or i don't know on, on instagram which was his new course on resiliency and mental strength or something like that which he's usually not really talking about he's talking about public speaking and um He has a health brand called Wildfit and those kind of things. But apparently he also spotted this trend, I guess, of people need some support with respect to mastering, you know, their mental health and, and, you know, coaching psychological things, which actually leads me a little bit to something I want to ask you prior <laughs> this discussion, which was about, um, you mentioned in your tourists, you, you were fortunate enough to have a business coach and then you've been having another coach. Is it, it's always been a business coach or it was like a, more like a, the, the pure sense of what coaching is or do you actually make any difference like yourself? We had an yeah. interesting discussion before we started this conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. Great question. Um, the first thing to say is, you know, there's a the snake oil industry historically, of selling the sizzle. And I think what we're seeing on, you know, on your Instagram feed and elsewhere is people jumping on the, the mental health bandwagon or emotional resilience. And I think it's all good as long as it's done with care and with integrity. So, you know, to be discerning in terms of, you know, a $39, $49 two-hour masterclass on psychological safety isn't really going to help you create a psychologically safe space for your team and to understand uh, the cadence of what it is to instill trust and uh, capabilities and embodiment of what it needs to be a 21st century leader. So that's one thing. The second thing is, yeah, my first coach was a business coach. My current coach is a philosopher. And he is an asshole. I hate him. And I love him. He, one of, one of his other clients calls him Drano for the soul, like literally pours it down and it goes into you. And we have no time limit for our sessions. They usually go two and a half to three hours. And at the end of it, I am exhausted. I'm mentally fatigued. I'm almost like withered down to my core where everything, all my stories that I was holding on to, we've been able to ping pong and get back to there is no i with a capital i or me with a capital m and resentment jealousy envy um dissatisfaction are all stories and in fact they're the breeding ground for creativity and innovation so the moment you get to choose curiosity and compassion for the things that are triggering you or pushing your button the quicker you can do um, a turnaround, but to not be triggered or have your buttons pushed in the, in the first instance is sign of growth. And I'm in the early days of getting to a point where something that would really bother me two or three years ago just passes through me or I even laugh. 
Um, so yeah, I've sought out a coach who isn't really about optimizing performance from a business point of view. It's operating performance from a human capacity. And interestingly enough, your business starts to evolve as well. Yes. Usually when you kind of fix the operational system. Yes. That's exactly right. Um, yes. Kind of reminds me when you share about your current coach about the, have you seen this movie Peaceful Warrior? No. Can you, can you tell the audience about that while I go and charge my laptop? <laughs> I have 6%. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, basically, basically, uh, while we're waiting for Jonas to go and find his charger, uh, Peaceful Warrior is this movie where the the main character is this guy who's in a high school, and he meets this sort of a real unreal person that becomes kind of like his mentor. And similar to what uh, Jonas was just saying, it's. Um, somebody who's uh, no bs a person who really kind of goes all in and and is not afraid to to ask the questions that you need to be asked and i think i think that's a really good quality in somebody who's your mentor who's your coach is it's really you know jonas i'm just speaking about the the person who you want to be your coach to be your mentor to be the person that's kind of uh taking this position, you don't want to be nice to you. No, no. You want them to be a shit disturber. You want them to care, but but you want them to also be like, hey, dude, you said you're going to do this, you're doing this, what's going on? Like you want them to be nice to you in terms of they care for you to grow, they care for you to be well, but they're willing to do whatever it takes to get you there. Yes, 100%. But what have to do with the movie though? I'm interested in the movie. Right. I mean, I think you should go and and, and find well, it. It's kind of like an older movie, but the character of uh, Socrates is just uh, really reminds me about the person you, uh, you just described. Yeah. Uh, and you can watch this movie many times, and you find some subtleties that might trigger something in you. And mm. I can imagine what it is to have somebody like a uh, similar personality by your side in your corner which is not pleasant you know no. growth is not pleasant let's let's be honest having a coach and 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 getting into a personal transformation is is not a pleasant process but it's also the most rewarding one yeah and i'd say one thing to that point and we've done it i think uh, not amazingly but we've tried is the beauty of direct speech you ask me a question and I don't go into uh, a tangent without directly answering it. So with my coach often, or at least when we were starting, I became aware about how quickly I would get caught in a narrative. So he'd say like, you know, what's happening? How has COVID been for you? And instead of being like X, like it's been really difficult. I would go, well, see, the thing is, I was making a cup of coffee and then, and he was, and he's like, wait, whoa, whoa. I, and then he, so I've learned how to do that with other people, which is generous, which, because what, what we're going to do is we're going to spend 10 minutes of about something that I already know. I already know my story. He wants to know how it's affecting me or what's going on so that we can get to the heart of the matter quickly. And that powerful and that we're not we weren't doing that before and now i feel like we're we as a race or as a species are doing it quicker it's like how are you has a different tone than a year ago you all right how's it going it was no one it wasn't asked with care it was asked of just like hey now it's like how are you and people are like not well i'm not doing so well and then you know, i'm so sorry to hear that and then you can have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation or you know, it's tough. I mean, I'm homeschooling. I'm working from home. I'm cooking. I'm doing laundry. I'm trying to have time for myself. It's a lot. And then you go, I hear you. So. That's beautiful. Jonas, I can not, not ask you this question. How do you define productivity? What does productivity mean to you? You know, I listened to one of your podcasts about the pause, a wonderful woman who had a beautiful story. 
and I've read uh, two great books, uh, probably my, one of my favorite books and Obama's favorite book of 2018, Jenny O'Dell's How to Do Nothing, uh, as well as Alexander Pang's Rest, which I was writing, reading while I was writing Shapers. Productivity to me today, if you're in the business of ideas and creativity, then how you look at not working is as important as how you look at working. In other words, I do my best work when I'm not working. So I need to design time every day and several times during the week to be in a space, to be inspired, replenished, reset, and have a frame of reference to look at whatever this entails. Whether it's coaching, writing an article, training, marketing, whatever it is, to do it with spirit and with gumption. So I look at productivity now no longer as doing more with less or even David Allen, get things done or deep work, Cal Newport. I love all of that stuff. I think it's fantastic as a modality to do great work between four to six hours a day in batches. But it's the time outside of that that I'm most interested in of how do you spend your time not working as a uh, inverse, it's like anti-flow. So that when you're in flow, you've also got the exact counterbalance. So I'm looking at productivity in a direct way as not being productive in order to be productive. I love it, man. I love it. We had uh, a number of conversations with many of my guests because when people hear, oh, you're doing a lot of work with productivity, they think that I'm just pushing people to to get things done and hustle and 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 I definitely my my belief is productivity is, should be seen a lot more mindfully a lot more human as you said yeah because at the end of the day if you're not feeling well what's the point of achieving all this sure and i've seen the way that you look at the individual as like a unique person with uh circadian rhythms that are different with uh, a type of work that's different with a culture and a working environment that's different than the top Pomodoro technique is not going to work for them. They need to do something different. They need to work for an hour straight and then stop. And you find something that works for them today, October 20th, and you check in with them six, month, six months from now, and you bet that that same system has been adapted, evolved, or thrown out altogether. And I forgot about that. So I was on a system of you know 9 to 11, 9.30 to 11.30 was the golden hours, the deep work. And then in the last six months, it's all gone pear-shaped but instead of being upset and frustrated to be kind kind and curious and say okay well why don't i just tweak it a bit and see what see what happens now maybe maybe this is a gift and there's a way to look at this as everything's happening a little bit later for now seasons are changing the world's changing final question uh i love having you on the podcast jonas final question uh, so we can respect your time and the time of the audiences. What are some of your personal habits uh, that if you want to share with us for, for the audience, I think it's going to be interesting to hear that that give you this extra sense of joy and make your day even more bright, brighter, right? Yes. Um, so I have a friend, a new friend that I met during these times who uh, he has a, a, a big morning ritual. And, you know, you can read about morning rituals out the kazoo, you know, the, five, four, the 445 club, you know. So I, I, I ensure most days that I, I take a few boxes um, in, the, in, the, in that department. So one is movement. So often I'm listening to music and or even maybe dancing as I make my coffee. Like I'm, I'm moving. Uh, one is meditation and um, reading. I, I read every morning. So I, I, and I don't look at my phone. So I start the day with like when we were talking about before doing those things that make you happy. Why wasn't I doing them? So I have a duty to, to do them. So 
uh, reading something. Usually, right now I'm reading fiction, and I'm loving it because I usually read nonfiction. Meditation is a mantra. It's 20 minutes, and putting on some music and just easing into the morning. And I, I have a big coffee ritual where I grind the beans and I do the whole thing. So those are like those are um, pretty much default settings. And then throughout the day, it's listening to what's inside of me. So after this, I will turn my computer off and I will go for a walk or I will stop this to come back to this with new eyes. Um, I was, I'm a pretty independent kind of almost, I don't want to say recluse because then that would be true, but I love my own space. I also love being with people. So I've been making an effort to, um, to a lot of the things we've been talking about, reach out and connect with friends or family in a much more regular cadence, a regular way than prior to March. And that feels great. It doesn't always have to be like a full thing. It could be a quick walk. It could be a phone call. It could be a quick FaceTime. Um, and then I think the biggest thing is every day I get into nature. Like I, I get into a park, I go by the water, I get on a bike, I do something. I live in a country in a place where you, green everywhere so to be inside all day is is insane so uh that's an easy thing and and uh, i take advantage of that thank you so much jonas thank you everybody for uh, joining us today i hope you enjoyed your cup of coffee or evening cup of tea if you're based in europe before we go i just want to emphasize once again you guys who should go and check out uh, the new book of jonas i'm buying it right after the call uh, shapers.life that's also the way you can find him on instagram jonas am i missing any of the social networks people can follow you awesome i really appreciate it it's Amazing. been uh, it's been a lot of fun I, I i i i'm grateful to be able to not have an agenda and and i feel like uh we got we scratched the surface of some things that are really important to me so thank you for that chance to, do, to talk about those things Thank you guys for listening and if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performers and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyanko.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.